1: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart.
0: Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, July Twentieth, and ladies and gentlemen, loyal listeners of the Cubs-related podcast, we have made it very far together. We have talked about a lot of nonsense. We have bided our time, but we are finally able to say the Chicago Cubs Mm. will play regular season baseball this week. Brendan,
1: like even just seeing. The game against the White Sox on Sunday night, like a national broadcast. I didn't listen to it, by the way, but it was a national broadcast. Just seeing Wrigley... In the bright green ivy, the field looks phenomenal. The guys look like they're in good spirits, hitting the ball well. We're in the final stretch. I think all in all, I, I got to say, I'm actually a little bit surprised that we've even gotten this far a few weeks ago. You know, I was kind of wondering if we could even get to this point. So uh, all good, Corey. I'm, I'm very excited right now.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it been uniquely interesting, I guess, to watch the Cubs scrimmage against one another. I, like It's obviously because of a very bad situation, but sort of like silver lining there is that it's been kind of fun to, you know, the Cubs kind of just alone by themselves in Wrigley Field, messing around and stuff like that. Like it. But yeah. it, was, it was good. It felt real. It felt at least a little normal to see them playing a baseball game against another team, something that we have not seen, obviously, since spring training ended back in March the first time. And I got to tell you, Brendan, I also—look, at this point, there are so many ways to watch these games you got to practice self-care, folks. You cannot listen (laughs) to the ESPN national broadcasters. This was a different crew, but you just can't, you can't do it. You have to be nicer to yourself than to subject yourself to the national narratives about a team that you love and follow. And be better than listening to, uh, last night, was it Chipper Jones? Like, what does Chipper Jones know about the White Sox and the Cubs? Who needs his opinion on any of this, right? Like, so just don't do it. Mute it. Turn on 670 The Score and listen to Pat and Ron. MLB TV lets you overlay different broadcasts and stuff. Or just sit there in silence. I mean, honestly, it's preferable. <laughs> There's no fans. You're not missing any sound, right? So just don't do it. It's just going to make you angry. I had so many people like message me on our Cubs-related Instagram account or on Twitter, just like, are you listening to these guys? I'm like, no. No, I am not because no. uh, yeah. I'm not going to subject myself to this. We've been through enough these last few months as, as a society than, than to need to listen to that on ESPN. Uh, the B crew, let alone the A crew, which is worse. So uh, y- y'all can figure that out. But I, uh, on those lines, I did on my phone, uh, I queued up the 670 The Score broadcast on MLB TV and listened to Pat Hughes and Brendan. Good for you. Man. Um, <laughs> Pat Hughes dropping the Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air for the first time since March was incredible. Just, (laughs) you want to talk about a sound for sore ears, if that's an expression. It was so beautiful to hear that man's voice again. And And there was a moment, I think it was in the first inning, maybe the bottom of the first inning when the Cubs were batting, where he was describing the day the night in Chicago, the Ivy, unlike normal at the beginning of the year is, you know, in in full growth and dark green. And he was painting this vivid picture. And just for like a brief moment, you know, you're like, this is peaceful. I'm happy. I'm listening to Pat Hughes describe Wrigley Field. And even though so much is wrong in the world right now, everything for this moment feels right.
1: Yeah. And Lennon, JD, just hearing those two guys back too. I mean, they were in midseason form. You have JD cracking jokes. And when you have Pat Hughes and Coomer and Lennon, JD, like what better duos do you want for your tv broadcast and your radio broadcast so just hearing them for the first time in a game scenario where you have an opposing team not the inter squad games but an opposing team it's been the first time we've heard them in four months Corey. and so it's like another off season went by and we barely even got to hear these guys during spring training so like quite literally we have not heard consistent broadcasts for what is it like nine months 10 months, whatever it is. Yeah, and it's, it's a little surreal. I
0: think it's still something to get used to. Obviously, we got a taste of it with these scrimmages that the Cubs were doing against each other at Wrigley, and then obviously with these uh, couple scrimmages against the White Sox and one against the Twins later this week. It's gonna like did you find it a little jarring like the the no fans thing it's 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 pretty weird like I'm I'm ready to get dialed into Cubs baseball they could be playing on the moon for all I care and I would still (laughs) it would be life or death whether they won the game right it it, 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 either way I, I have to tune it out my brain will tune out the surroundings. But it's a little jarring, isn't it? Yeah, it's
1: jarring. But they, I mean, there's silver linings to it. Of course, you want fans in the ballpark. But you get like these unique reactions from the players because there's no fans there. Like we saw Rizzo talking like smack to whoever was at the batter's box. I think it was on the Cubs, of course. But you just don't get those types of of reactions when you have fans in the ballpark. Yeah. So that is where we're at.
0: Obviously, that you know, like I said. Uh... The Twins exhibition game on Wednesday rounds out the summer camp schedule and then the Cubs and Brewers obviously kicking things off on Friday, a couple games on Thursday, although not featuring the Cubs, to officially kick off this shortened MLB season. And that is where we will begin today's actual discussion. Uh, And that is that since we last spoke, now I do, you know, programming note here, We're back. As of this week, we'll be on two times a week. Uh, You'll hear us. uh, This episode will drop. You're listening to this on Tuesday morning, probably. And then we will have another episode for you on Friday morning that we'll record Thursday night to full-on preview, give some predictions, last last call for any uh, analysis before they actually start playing baseball. And then just like normal, if you are a new listener, uh, we always record every time a series ends. So the Cubs play the Brewers through Sunday this week. Uh, On Sunday night, Brendan and I will record. We will react to the series, and that will drop on Monday, and that will follow with every subsequent series. So that is how this show works. If you've been listening to us for a while, you already know to expect that, but I am just confirming that. Anyway, since the last time we spoke, we have an opening day starter, and that is Kyle Hendricks and I think back in the regular spring training out in Arizona, we knew that it was going to be Kyle Hendricks or Yu Darvish. But the season was suspended uh, prior to David Ross making that decision. But this time, uh, now we know who it is. Kyle Hendricks will start on Friday and he will be the opening day starter. You Darvish will go on Saturday, and then Tyler Chatwood actually will round out that Milwaukee series on Sunday. We'll talk more about how the rotation is laid out so far. Uh, But I want to start with Hendricks, Brendan, and I think that— This is, you know, we we often on this podcast will note when we've been uh, on the right side of history with certain things. We're on on the wrong side of history with plenty of things, but some of those episodes are deleted, so you guys don't know what those things are. And they'll stay that way. Uh, Some of them. We have always talked about if you listen to this podcast and you somehow underrate Kyle Hendricks, you have not been listening to Brendan and I closely enough uh, because we I don't think it's possible to sing his praises any louder than we do. And this was one of those things where like I I, I would have been pumped either way. I think that you Darvish warranted this uh, as well with the way that he pitched in the second half last year and, you know, kind of looking to him to just be that, like, overly dominant, flame-throwing ace, if you will. Uh, But, uh, like, just seeing this, and again, we knew it was only going to be between two guys, but, like, I found myself, like, I was really, really happy for Kyle Hendricks. He is constantly not given the respect that he deserves, whether we're talking in when, you know, sites like MLB.com or other places do top 100 rankings or they cover different guys and and you know share the content and who they're marketing and things like that and even amongst his own fan base like Kyle Hendricks just does not get the respect that he deserves because he doesn't throw very hard because he doesn't have a flashy personality and his stuff to the untrained eye I guess is is not overly powerful and and exciting uh, but he deserves this, and and I've been you know yelling about this for days now. Um, but there is a very short list of pitchers uh, since the 2015 season started that have better numbers, who have accumulated more wins above replacement than Kyle Hendricks has, and that list is guys like. Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Steven Strasburg, right? Like, and then it's Hendricks. Like, I, I think he's thirteenth in wins above replacement since mm. twenty fifteen started. Like, think yes. about how many pitchers there are in the league, and like who those top guys are. And then Kyle Hendricks is right there, you know. And one example that I gave on Twitter is how 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 often do you guys who are listening hear about what Trevor Bauer does, right? every time he opens his mouth, the baseball media falls all over itself to cover it. They act like he's the smartest guy. He's so great, whatever. Kyle Hendricks has better numbers than him across the board in less innings since 2015. He has a better ERA. He's got uh, more wins above replacement. He's won a World Series. He's finished higher in Cy Young voting. He is a good person, which I don't think Trevor Bauer is, and doesn't get the respect, doesn't get any respect from those top outlets. And I think Hendricks prefers it that way. So don't get it twisted that I I think he's out there wanting this attention. I don't think he does. But I I just, I'm very happy that he got this uh, honor, milestone, whatever you want to call being named the opening day starter, because he deserves it. And he deserves for more people to recognize that this is not, Kyle Hendricks is not a good pitcher. Kyle Hendricks is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Put some respect on his name. One of
1: the best pitchers in Cubs history, Corey. But like going back to your point since 2015, yeah, number 13 on that list, which is greater than 95% of qualified starters in that time period. Almost 230 qualified starters, Hendricks ranks in the top 95%. And he's extended too. He'll be with his team for many more years. It's got to feel good. But Hendricks is one guy too. To your point about Bauer, Hendricks is always evolving, but he's doing so in these subtle ways. Whereas Bauer in those types of pitchers, they're more obvious. They have a different pitch. They're throwing 95, 96, 97. They've changed their release points. They've drastically altered how they pitch. And to their benefit, it's been successful for many of these guys. Hendricks is different because if you compare him from now to, let's say, 2014, almost looks identical. Mechanics are pretty much identical. But what he's changed in the last few years has been actually pretty dramatic. And one of the biggest changes he made, even from 2018 to 2019, was throwing more up and in sinkers and four-seamers. He did this so dramatically in July and August of September last year. And that, in turn, helped him get more whiffs. It also, believe it or not, helped the changeup play a little bit better, even though you have a sinker, which in my eyes is counterintuitive to throw up in the zone. But for him, it worked out. And Cubs pitchers across the board, thanks to Tommy Haddavi, they started to do the same thing. Quintana was throwing sinkers up in the zone as well. But now, in addition to having that sinker adjustment that Hendricks made last year, he's working in more curveballs. He's trying to tailor this curveball to be a more consistent pitch in his routine. And he was talking to the Cubs beat reporters after that start. And he said, quote, my curveball, I've been working on it a ton. I worked on it even more during this quarantine. It gave me a lot of time to do that, to kind of mess around a little bit with the pressure, just how to spin it, learning how to spin it better. Right now, it's the best my curveballs felt." end quote. Corey, he doesn't need a curveball. He can can survive with what he's been using. He has two changeups. He has two fastballs. He has a cutting changeup and a tailing changeup. That's been fine. And it probably will continue to be fine having those four different pitches. But if he throws in this curveball now, that would be insane. I wonder what that would do to his other pitches. And I made this little overlaid gif that I posted on my Twitter, at Cubs Related, but you can kind of see the tunneling between his sinker and his curveball. You see basically starts off at the same point, and the pitches go completely in the opposite direction. And we'll see what that curve looks like with more data as a year goes on. But I think, Corey, that curve has more horizontal or tighter break. And we don't have all the data yet, but we will. But what we do have is spin rate. And according to Jordan Bash in front of the podcast, during that White Sox start, Kyle Hendricks, he topped 9 or 2,964 RPMs on that curveball spin rate. Uh, That is... Insane, first off, that would be in the top, uh, I believe 75% of Major League Baseball. By the way, he averaged that in this game, not topped, averaged that in 2019. He only hit 2,900 five times. That's it, Corey. He threw like seven, eight curbs yesterday. He averaged that. Do you get it? That's a huge difference. And we'll see how that translates. I think it could translate into something good. And rather than just throwing a get-me-over curveball, which is what he's done to start at bats over the last few years, maybe now that becomes a two-strike pitch. He threw that curveball four times in two-strike counts yesterday. We'll see. You have to be excited about it. Everything for Hendricks in terms of, you know, reputation, and in terms of just ad- adapting, everyone always has good things to say about him. But it's not as obvious as all the other big known pitchers. And again, if he throws in another, another subtle adjustment in this curveball... I'm pumped. I I don't don't want to say, oh, I'm going to expect these numbers. But again, he didn't need this curveball. He was completely fine without it. What will this do to his numbers with another plus pitch? Yeah.
0: And that was one of those fun things from Sunday night watching the game. I know you mentioned it. I saw Brett Taylor mention it. I know Brian Smith mentioned it. And some of the people that I talked to throughout the games mentioned it. There were a lot of people who were like, his curveball looks better than I've ever seen it. And then Jordan bastion today tweeted that it you know quite literally was better than we've ever seen it and everybody was like oh cool <laughs> like it's cool that we all noticed that like a bunch of people were like hey that curveball looks really special tonight uh, am i am i seeing anything and said, nope that's that's what it is but i think the exciting thing about Hendricks and anytime he does something like this is and i i've said this a lot he he's really one of those pitchers that is so fascinating to watch and really dial into and try to study or just pay attention to what he is doing with all of these pitches. Because as we talk about these other guys, you, Darvish uh, is obviously a good example. Guys like Scherzer, Verlander, etc., right? It's it's a lot easier to see from a distance why they get so many outs, right? Justin Verlander's sitting there pumping high 90s past people, right? Like, it, it's it's very easy to be like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, and there's more nuance to it, but it's just easier to recognize with Hendricks it is so fun to watch him use the tunneling use the changing of speeds the changing of eye levels and and so many times when the the at-bat results in a strikeout I always think of that series with the Dodgers in 2016 because he was just so good in that series and it was so blatantly obvious what he was doing to those guys and like after some of the at-bats you can just really tell, like, exactly what he was thinking with the the pitches, with the speed, with the eye level, and, and you can just—it's it, it's like that gif of Zach Galifianakis in The Hangover, where the, the formulas and the numbers are displayed visually around his head, right? It's like you can see it with, with Hendricks. You can see the gears turning when he elevates a fastball, and then he buries the changeup, and you can see— the the hitters trying to keep up with it but you can tell that hendricks is doing exactly what he wants to and the hitters are responding in kind and so it's he he's always just such a fun guy to watch because he so he he succeeds in such a different manner than Anybody else, and I think this is what Jed Hoyer was saying when they were talking to him about Hendricks being named the opening day starter. Just talking about how fascinating it is to watch a guy succeed at the same level as other players, but in a completely different way, and and really like in a way that nobody else does. There's other soft throwers. There's other guys that rely on tunneling, changing eye levels, changing speeds, etc. Like Hendricks does, but nobody. Comes close to doing it as good as Hendricks does, and it's it's a real art form. Like it really is. Like I, I, you know, not to like wax poetic about it, but it there's really an art to watching Kyle Hendricks pick. He's not out there overpowering guys. He can't just rear back and blow it past people, right? Like every single thing he does has to be calculated because the stuff isn't as powerful as others, and he's just so so good. And watching him deploy this curveball and seeing how he's going to utilize that and how he's going to play that off of his other pitches is going to be a joy. I I assume there's no other outcome then. It's just going to be really, really fun to watch. And in that game against the White Sox, he looked good. In all of these scrimmages, he's looked really, really good. Uh, The the velo is there early in the year, uh, and he just looks to be in really, really good form, which is very, very exciting, because when he's on, he's one of the best in the game. So it's it's a deserved honor for him to be the opening day starter. Uh I, I'm I'm very happy for him and it, it's just one of those stories to to look back on when he came over from the Texas Rangers and, and his his pedigree, his pitch arsenal and stuff like that to see him evolve into someone that has uh finished in the top three in Cy Young voting, who has pitched and started in two of the biggest games in Chicago Cubs history and route to helping them win a World Series in 2016 to being named the opening day starter. It's uh, a journey that I think as fans were very lucky to have gone on uh, and have gone on with someone like Kyle.
1: He was thrown 88, 89, 90, Corey, during that start against the White Sox. We were seeing Hendricks throw 85, 86, 87 for the majority of the past three years. So right now, he's looking... Like he did in 2016 when he was shutting down those Dodgers in the championship series. So if he's throwing 88, 89 miles per hour with the command, with the changeup now with a curve vault that spins way more, you can let your mind wander very easily, maybe a little bit dangerously, but having everything come together for Hendricks right now would be such a an advantage for the Cubs, if you have Hendricks coming together at his best with Darvish coming together at his best, those two guys making up basically, what would it be? It would be around 24 to 30 starts this year, almost half your starts, Corey, in this season. That would be insane. That would be absolutely insanely valuable because then maybe you don't have to have Alec Mills go in and be that, you know, average to borderline above average guy, maybe you can piggyback on some of these bullpen days because now you have more wins coming from Hendricks and coming from Darvish. It is a huge, huge advantage if Hendricks will be looking like what he was when he was throwing 88, 89. And he was fine past few years throwing a little bit slower. Is, you know, it's not to discount what he's done. But we know when he's at his best, at his peak, and he said it, when his mechanics are clicking, when he's not locked in the rubber, in the rubber as he describes it, he's at his best. And so that marker of 88, 89 miles per hour, that describes and reflects when Hendricks is at his best. Kyle will get the
0: ball on... Friday to start things off against the Brewers, as we mentioned, Yu Darvish and Tyler Chatwood will follow. I, I think you know we've been uh, pretty clear in our praise for Yu Darvish and our expectations uh, for him. I think that uh, we kind of know what we're looking for there if he pitches like he does did in you know the the second half of the 2019 season. He's a legitimate contender to win the Cy Young. It was extremely fun in that in that and there weren't a lot of things fun about the 2019 season, but that streak where he hadn't walked anybody was really, really fun. That was a very exciting uh, thing to pay attention to every night, especially given how his Cubs career started, obviously. Uh, but He's again very different than Kyle Hendricks. They do it very differently. Uh, but you is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think uh, you know we expect big things out of him. But really, what I just wanted to touch on briefly uh, was Chatwood going third, and then uh, Lester being positioned for that Red Series. Because um, I, you know, when this was announced, it, it, there's some things that I don't understand the reaction to. This is nothing guys like he's that john came into camp saying he's got to be careful about how they use the bullets they have to let him ramp up and and get to where he needs to be on his time and so they're pushing him to the second series. It really doesn't strike me as that big of a deal. I don't think that Tyler Chatwood is literally the third person in this rotation. Uh, this is just how they're lining things up to start, and I think you're probably hoping that Lester is at his best, uh, towards the end of this season you know like and and not necessarily as he put it using all those bullets in the beginning so that's just how they're laying things out that's I I think in large part just based on where guys are in this process and I think even Ross said that was part of Hendricks going on Friday instead of Darvish like Hendricks is is on right now he's ready to go he can throw a hundred plus pitches and I'm not saying you can't but just that Ross alluded to, like part of this decision, because this is an unorthodox situation, you have to take into account where these guys are and where they are going to be when the season starts and how you're you're planning everything out individually a lot more than you maybe would in a normal season when everybody's had that month plus to get ready and is kind of on the same page. So uh, yeah. that's just how they're laying the rotation out. I, there, I, there's, there's nothing to read into. There's nothing going on here. So uh, that is pretty much where that is. Uh, Yeah, John didn't have a good outing in his last scrimmage uh, against the other Cubs, Uh, but again, I think, you know reading too much into these scrimmages or exhibition games is really not necessary. Uh, These guys are getting ready. They need to get themselves to where they need to be individually and health-wise, and we'll see what happens once the regular season starts. But uh, that is where we are with the rest of the rotation, at least for now. And I wanted to transition to one of the other updates that we got, one of the other, not like official decisions, but we've narrowed things down at second base at the very least. Uh, This came across on the 18th, so just a couple of days ago. But David Ross said that Nico Horner and Jason Kipnis are his two main options for second base. So we obviously knew who that group was going to consist of, uh, but really even back in March when they were in Arizona and up until just a few days ago, we really didn't have a clear direction as to how that playing time was going to go or any insight into exactly how these guys were looking at it. Obviously, Kipnis being added to the roster, added to the 40-man, and given the playing time he was getting even back in March, it was pretty clear he was going to be involved, right? Right. Uh, but we didn't really know how David Bodie would factor in, how Daniel Descalso would factor in, and especially when you're going back to the original spring training, uh, you know, they were kind of always talked about as, I don't know if it was exactly four people, but, you know, a larger group, right? These are the options for second base. This is kind of that first step towards, like, okay, these are going to be the main guys looking to get these starts and, and taking over the lion's share of the playing time at second base. So, Brendan... i I wouldn't say that this is necessarily surprising uh but we 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 finally have a little bit of direction here is is this what you expected how are we feeling about uh these two in particular getting those looks and you know i think there's there's uh i i I love using the word juxtaposition i apologize if you hate that word but it's uh it's probably my favorite word i don't i don't really know why uh, but this is another good one. You have Nico Horner, who came up in the 2019 season, probably earlier than a lot of people expected, because the Cubs needed some help uh, in that middle infield area, and who there was a lot of questions going in. I think if this was a normal season, you know, there were a lot of people that weren't even sure Nico should start at the major league level and mm-hmm. should you know just be getting those everyday reps and and focusing on that long term growth. Uh, but obviously, things are different now. And you contrast that with Jason Kipnis, who's a veteran who, you know, has uh, sort of obviously started that downturn of his career, uh, but by all reports has looked very good in both versions uh, of camp, moving well, hitting the ball well, hit that home run against the White Sox to start things off on Sunday night. So what do you what do you think if this is if this is the main duo what do you what do you think about that and and do you have a, a vision as to how maybe that playing time is going to be laid out or how you'd like it
1: to be laid out? First off, I love Nico being thrown in that mix. I was a little surprised we didn't hear too much about Bodie. I imagined that actually Bodie with Kipnis with Horner would get thrown into that into that mix. Maybe Bodie will be more of that super utility guy playing second base, playing third base when KB goes to the outfield and mixing and mashing. Maybe that will be Bodie's role. But for second base, I feel like with Kipnis, his overall numbers last year were a little clouded by his injury. And for us Cubs fans, like we didn't watch Kipnis on a game-to-game basis, but we understand just how debilitating a hand injury or a wrist injury can be. We saw that with you know, even guys last year with Javi Baez, how debilitating that thumb injury was. We saw with Jason Hayward in 2016, how debilitating his wrist injury was. I mean, it completely took his offense out of the game. So with Kipnis, he hurt his wrist and eventually had season-ending wrist pain in September last year. But for a good majority of 2019, he was hitting the ball basically at a league average rate. And then all of a sudden, Corey, once September hit and more so towards the late end of August, probably when his wrist was hurting them, his expected weighted on base average completely plummeted. It was the lowest by far, by almost two times as far in late August through the end of the season before he ended up getting hurt with that wrist injury. So you knew that at some point his wrist was hurt in that period of time which was about three weeks four weeks maybe even maybe even more that deflated his overall numbers and so when we look at his overall numbers last year we're looking at WRC plus of 82 not good that's like in you know just to give a reference like addison Russell type range of 2016 2017 2018 not not good right his weighted on base average was 301 he bet at 245. But he did hit 17 homers, he did walk 8% of the time, and he only struck out 17% of the time. And so we can actually like use the same thought exercise we've used with Hayward in the years past. Where, okay, what if you get a little bit more health? What if you increase the barrels, you know, just a little bit? Add in like five more barrels. That is gonna be a pretty big increase in your weighted on base average, in your WRC+, just in your overall offensive numbers. So that's where I think the the high end of his uh, projection lies, maybe around that borderline League average, above league average type guy. And if you can mix with Horner some of the matchups, maybe you have Kipness face uh, a righty that has a more favorable portfolio against Kipness. And then once the lefty comes by, you can platoon him with Horner, or maybe Horner just faces this righty, that portfolio, a little bit better than Kipness. You can see this scenario working. And I did not, Corey, and I think we should have, once the Cubs did sign him early on in this year, we didn't talk about Kipness in a positive light. And I think that was like something we just glossed over. And I feel like a lot of Cubs fans have glossed over that as well. I'm not saying, oh, Kipness is going to be, you know, what we need, but I am a little curious the extent to which that wrist injury hurt him last year, because we've seen the expected numbers drop precipitously because of that injury. Now, what is that going to do? Once it's healed and healthy, maybe we'll get league average numbers. And if that's if that's the case, then second base is maybe not much of a hole as we thought it was going to be. And maybe we have more depth than we imagined. That being said, though, like if Kipnis is not going to get off to a hot start within the first... Let's say 10 games. My belief has always been Horner and Bodie. Like, those are my two primary targets. But that being said, if this is going to be hot out of the gate, I have no problem giving him some more at bats into the Bodie, but I do want to see Nico get at least half the at bats. I don't know. I want to see Nico develop. He hurt his hand last year. He missed some development time this year. You have COVID now this year. I just want to see Nico develop a little bit more. And if that means giving them half the plate appearances and maybe getting a little bit less value than what you would get with Kipnis as a result, I still think that's in the Cubs' best interests, even towards the end of this year if they get to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I think that it's it's going to be interesting to see exactly how this shakes out, because I, I do think that, you know, one thing that you have to keep in mind with this is how young Nico is, and that you obviously envision him as part of this middle infield long term. So whatever you're doing, you know, you have to make sure that that's balanced with, with that. Uh, and that's a, that's a tough thing to do, you know, to trying to balance winning now, playing time, and developing someone long term—not an easy thing to do. So that'll be a challenge for David Ross. I think one of his bigger challenges in in all of this. But I I do I like this group, and I think that the comparison of these two guys is is a good one for this situation. I I think you're you're right about all you laid out about Kipnis. I think that there's definitely a a scenario you can envision where he is good and, and an above average producer and, and someone that is contributing in a positive manner to this club. Um, and I, I think that it's a, a, a wise decision, especially because he looks good. And I mentioned this on the, on uh, one of the recent podcasts, but especially when they were doing those early summer camp workouts and those uh, just scrimmages against each other, a lot of the beat writers were pointing out how in good of shape he looked and, and just how like, Good. He, he looked to put it simply, like so. Hopefully, that is what translates. But I do like the idea of having a veteran like that in there, uh, just because this is such an unorthodox situation. You're asking guys to have gotten prepared in short order after a long layoff, and now get ready for a, a season that they haven't really played before. A, a sprint. You know, the off days are going to be weird. This whole process is going to be weird. And I think having a veteran in there who you know is is to to use the phrase literally that we've uh, used a lot. It's probably a lot easier for Jason Kipnis to just strap it on and go, right, than it is for someone in their early 20s who doesn't have a lot of major league experience. That's not to say that makes Kipnis better, but he's been around the block. He he knows how to get himself ready. He knows when his body's in the right place, when his mind is in the right place. And I think that having somebody like that involved is is a good thing for a a strange season like this and we've also not only just from the perspective of having Kipnis there but his relationship with Nico we've gotten some quotes from some of the beat writers from both of them from Nico talking about how nice it is to have someone like Kipnis out there with the level of experience that he has and from Kipnis and this is something that Jordan Bastian has talked about a lot because he used to cover the Cleveland Indians for MLB.com that Kipnis was a great clubhouse person, that people spoke very, very highly of him as a leader, as a mentor, et cetera. And that uh, they, it, you know, from what we've been able to gather from the beat writers here, it, it seems that that relationship is is really yielding something, Nico and Kipnis specifically, and Kipnis was talking. You know, he he said I think the other day that he told Nico, "If I'm not in the game and you're out there, you know, you should have that attitude of I'm going to do everything in my power to prevent Jason from getting back on this field, and I'm okay with that. That's what I want you to be doing. Like that's how I want you to be playing. Like this is not my job long term. This is your job long term. So we're here to help each other. We're here to win. But when you're out there, like." take the reins like go for it, you know? And so it just seems like a very beneficial relationship. We've seen relationships like this before with with members of the Cubs and in, in different positions and in different years. And I think it's always valuable to have that. So how exactly the playing time shakes out, I'm not sure. I, like you, Brennan, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to see what Kipness is looking like. Obviously hitting the home run on Sunday is nice. Uh, you know, if he looks good in the field, if he looks good at the plate, Then I have no problem with that. But I I do tend to agree if if it's not there, especially because it's 60 games and because you'd rather the younger guys be getting that experience, you know, you got to be ready to maybe move things in another direction pretty quickly. But I think to start, I think this is uh, the right plan. And I I trust that David Ross has all of this in mind and, you know, will be making the right decisions uh, for. The short term and the long term, even though that's going to be uh, a a tricky thing to balance. Uh, David Ross also went on to say, you know, that uh, he he likes the versatility that this roster presents. I, I think that you know that's kind of keeping David Bodie in mind. I think there's a lot of ways for Bode to get in the lineup. Obviously, he's been uh, an up and down guy at the plate. Uh, you know, really struggling with that elevated heat over the, you know, as as time went on and the the scouting report kind of got out on him. But he's got that power. He's always been a guy that, you know, can make pretty heavy exit velo contact. Uh, And so I think having somebody like him to spell guys at certain positions, get in that DH spot, pinch hit later in the games, come in and DH later, whatever you're trying to do, right? I think uh, he's a good candidate for that. So I think this is kind of how you expected things to go uh, with this position, and I I will say this now, and I hope I don't have to bring it up again, uh, but Brendan, I cannot tell you how relieved I was (laughs) when the tweet read, Nico and Kipnis will be your primary yeah. second baseman, and Daniel Descalso's name was nowhere to
1: be found. Who knows if Descalso will even make the roster at this point? He but should not. If you're, if you, yeah, I mean, but if you're, if you're Zach Short too, and you know you see Descalso on the roster, you have to be a little like perturbed. Hey, why am I not on the roster? And I think too with Descalso, if we need more infield depth, what is he providing, Corey? Because he can't play shortstop he can barely play third base. So who's going to be that backup shortstop besides Nico? What if Nico needs to play second base when Javi's at shortstop? That means you need Zach Short. That means you need a backup shortstop. So to me, it makes sense that you need to get rid of Descalso. You have Kipnis, who basically is what you signed Descalso to be, right? So you already had that whole filled. So Maybe we'll see it. Maybe we'll see by Friday that dusk also is gone, and maybe Zach Short will be on this active roster or on that taxi squad a little bit more often. We'll see. But that—that that was my first thinking: is okay if we have Kipnis now in this type of secured position, then we need to figure out what we're going to do about that shortstop backup spot yeah. because that's important, and we saw that the, the, we saw how painful that was once Javi went down last year and we saw Bodie and Ian Happ take reps at shortstop because they had to. That was not their primary position, but they they did it and we we need more we need more depth at shortstop and if DeSclafas is going to be on the roster taking away that possible depth then I do have an issue with it.
0: Yeah, and you know they've got Hernan Perez in the fold, but uh, you know that's another one where it's like, like, it, like I'm not did. really sure what <laughs> what you're expecting there and yeah whether I, or not you want no that to, him, to be the guy who's providing the depth or if you'd rather uh, just give those. Innings to someone younger let them get the experience because at the end of the day like especially with someone like Descalso like there's no chance that someone like Zach Short produces worse than Daniel Descalso and even if he does fine you gave that experience to a young guy who can build on that as opposed to Daniel Descalso. I, I really hope we don't have to go on these rants too often but I, I am really serious uh, about the urgency needing to be there. And, you know, I know you guys are probably sick of hearing us complain about Daniel Discasso but he's still on the roster and he shouldn't be. And frankly, it's a little embarrassing that he's still on the roster. He's terrible, guys, like really, really terrible. And you've got 60 games, okay? You've got 60 games. The majority of them are against teams you're competing with to make the playoffs directly in your division. And, you you can't be giving it bats to guys who stink. It's just—I mean—that's the plain and simple. And they're not—they haven't done it, right? So I'm—I'm I'm, I'm
1: trying not to get yeah. preemptively mad. And, and but, I get like Duscalzo. Like he's a good teammate. We've heard great things about the personality. Yeah, I get it, and it's hard. Like. Yeah, like it's hard sometimes when we when we talk about performance of players. I'm like, we're not criticizing the human being. Descalso right. like, seems like a genuinely nice guy that teammates like, and that that is that is a plus, but when you're on the field, it's different and you need to have that value. And if Descaso ends up being a coach, then yeah, that's fine. I don't care about that. But when he's taking away at bats from Nico or from maybe Zach Short, then we have an issue. Yeah. And I mean, this applies to every position and everybody. It's for 60 sure. games. For you, sure.
0: You're, you either start and you're bringing it from day one. Like obviously this, you know, like if Javi goes 0 for 5 in the first game, like that obviously doesn't apply to him. But For a large portion of this roster, like, you know, especially you look at places like the bullpen... Uh, and some of these depth guys, like, you got to be bringing it. There, there's not enough time to let things play out or let guys make too many adjustments or things like that. Like, you, you got to be bringing it because otherwise the season's going to get away from you very, very quickly. Uh, and that's just something that I I, I, I bring up really because I, I, I think, and I keep saying this, but like, I, I don't think you can highlight enough how different a 60-game season is from a 162-game season. They are vastly, vastly, vastly Different things, uh, and I, I think that we we have to keep that in mind. Like, I I don't want to tell you all to go crazy like for every single game. Like, it's it's the season rides on it, but it rides a lot more on it than it does in a normal season. That's just what I'm trying to convey to everybody. Uh, but that's what we have on second base. It's going to be mostly Nico and Jason Kipnis, and we will see how that all shakes out. Uh, The really only other stuff uh, I think that's important to touch on, just want to, you know, mention Anthony Rizzo. Obviously, he's been working back from his back injury all the reports are are that that's going well. He's hit uh, and done the full workouts the last couple days. Again, we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, And each day they, you know, reassess how he's feeling after doing the workouts. But, you know, David Ross was watching him do the workout, I think, on Sunday before the game against the White Sox, you know, said he was uh, bending down to pick up balls, making quick throws, running, hitting well, and, you know, felt good earlier today on Monday morning. So they're going to keep doing that. Uh, the hope is that he'll be in there for the exhibition game on Wednesday against the Minnesota Twins. And then uh, hopefully to be in there on Friday, Anthony Rizzo was talking about, you know, and he said pretty bluntly, uh, it's it me, opening day means a lot to me. And it means a lot for me to be the opening day first baseman for the Chicago Cubs, uh, which is, you know, it sounds a lot like something a captain of a team would say. Uh, So this is very important to him. It means a lot for him to be out there, but as David Ross has said kind of time and time again, they're going to be careful about this. They're going to be mindful about this uh, because, you know, you don't want to have any setbacks. It's a short season, and you'd rather have Anthony miss the first two games, right, versus get out there as quickly as possible and then have to miss a longer period yeah. of time. So that's really where that is. Uh, so hopefully that you know keeps progressing. And by the time we talk to you guys next, Anthony will have played in that game against Minnesota and be ready to start things off against Milwaukee on Friday. Uh, but other than that, I, I think one interesting note that we got today uh, from us, not literally you and I, but from CubsInsider.com, uh, was that friend of the podcast? As you guys heard his interview, Burl Caraway is headed to the Taxi Squad. Uh, yes. That's an interesting one, Brendan. We we we've talked and you know we we kind of alluded to it when we were talking to Burl that you know there was some discussion about whether he could be utilized in a short season like this, and obviously he's just headed to South Bend to to be potentially one of the options. But this is pretty interesting, uh, you know, especially as you know some of the bullpen options, at least in. The these scrimmages they're just scrimmages but you know haven't exactly been lighting the world on fire so that's that's a pretty interesting note and would be very exciting just to see him involved
1: yeah i mean we we talked about it too about the possibility but now it's potentially a reality like we'll we'll see what happens but i mean he's already throwing 98 99 100 at times he's got that wicked breaking ball to go along with it like even if he gets 5 innings Corey, you know, you scale that to a regular season that's almost 15 20 innings. That's what that's what it would equal. That could be valuable. You bring up Caraway towards the end of September and you throw him in that situation you laid out for him where you're facing Christian Yelich who's never seen Caraway, who's you know, very rarely facing someone with Caraway's stuff. That has an advantage, and so I would love, I would love Burl to get that opportunity. And we heard it ourselves. He has the confidence to do it. He has the mental fortitude to do it. And I think he, if if anyone who just got drafted is more capable of doing what Caraway could be doing, then you have to find him for me. Because what I heard, what he was telling us, Corey that's a closer mindset and he's well beyond his age in terms of maturity and and i think awareness overall so that was fun to see i I hope honestly i hope it does happen that'll be a story that i think we'll just track with him the rest of his career coming up right away the year he got drafted that's very unusual for most guys and i think for burl it's well within the, the the realm of reality i think which will be fun to watch yeah,
0: so that is something to keep an eye on as that develops. Uh, obviously, some some other you know rather interesting guys in South Bend on that taxi squad, and we'll see you know how the Cubs front office and and everyone ultimately decide to utilize that roster. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on was uh, Chris Bryant's appearance on The Compound on Monday morning. Uh, it it the, the Compound with Ian Happ is is a podcast that we recommend, uh, another podcast that we would suggest you listen to after you listen to ours, obviously, but that's a given yes, for after, you loyal yeah. listeners. Um, and it, w- it was a really good interview. Uh, the, the one thing that has like, really stood out to me about The Compound, it's very entertaining. And of course, it's, it's really cool to be able to get some insight from the players themselves and just like hear one player talking to another. It doesn't have that kind of I'm talking to a member of the media veil over it, if you will. Uh, But Ian Happ is a really good interviewer. Brendan, like he, is, he asks man. really He's good questions, good. and yeah. the the conversation is always very good. Now, obviously, like when he interviews Chris or Jason Hayward or Anthony Rizzo, like you know they're they're presumably friends or at least they're close because of how often they're together and stuff like that. But the, the interviews are really good. Like he he gets really good answers out of these guys. And the one that I wanted to highlight uh, from this particular interview was, and I'm paraphrasing, but Chris Bryant you know Ian Hap asks him about the, the trade rumors and, and, you know, just the social media discourse and stuff sometimes. And, you know, Chris Bryant basically says, like, the thing that really sticks out to me is this narrative, and we have mentioned this before, that's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me is this narrative that I can't wait to leave Chicago, or I'm leaving the minute I hit free agency, or I'm just in it for the money, or, you know, anything like that. And Chris says verbatim, when have I ever said that? I love everybody in this organization. I love the field. I love the city. I've never said anything about a desire to get out of here. And I don't use this reporter's name on this podcast because I refuse to signal boost him in any matter, but he was almost directly calling out a certain bald reporter that works for NBC Sports Chicago who has reported to the contrary of what Chris Bryant and his team have said over and over and over again, which is that he wants to stay in Chicago, he loves Chicago, and has no desire to be headed out. And it's, I, I, again, I just bring it up because this is something that gets out there. Uh, and Chris talked about this, you know, because his agent is Scott Boris and all this other stuff. It just is a narrative that persists that he's you know, chomping at the bit to leave in free agency and get out of here and that he's mad at the Cubs because they, you know, held him down or whatever. And it just, there's no basis in reality for any of this stuff. Chris Bryant, nor anybody from his team has ever said this stuff. The only time that has ever come out is from these anonymous sourced reports that are never verified by any single other outlet. So I'm bringing this up and I'm bringing it up passionately because we need to stop doing that. Chris Bryant loves being a Cub. He is a great, great baseball player. He is one of the best Chicago Cubs in history. So just keep that in mind. He doesn't want to go anywhere, all right? Like I don't know how many times he has to say this, but Ian Happ
1: asked a really good question. Chris gave a very good answer, and I just want to make sure that everybody heard that. Kaplan can't be doing that. We're going to say his name. He cannot you cannot be putting out information like that. And if you want to put out a story like that, then go ask the guy. Man, the mm-hmm. like, come on. Like don't don't beat around the bush here. You're being borderline unethical when you try to paint an image that is just factually incorrect right. with Chris Bryant. And when you have like his father Mike who's done interviews with Cubs Network. he's had interviews, of course, with us. He's glowing, Corey, about the Cubs coaches and the environment. and Chris, too has said multiple times over the years that the grievance is really more of something that just you know has to be done. It's just kind of like a it's a protocol sort of. And he said too that he wants to be a Cub. He said it this year. He said it in during spring training. He said it last year. He says Scott Boris is not the one who determines if he signs the contract. It's he himself. He said that last year. And so you have to be upset when you hear David Kaplan incorrectly get out that story and absolutely defend that story. You, can't, you cannot be doing that. You cannot have The sense of like this absolute type nature to your opinions when in reality you're getting a he said she said story from five people who are interconnected within that within that line makes no sense to me
0: yeah they they also talked about you know how sort of ridiculous it is that people get on Chris when he has a really good season as opposed to an MVP season. So uh, really appreciate the work that uh, Ian Happ is doing with his platform to make sure he's spreading a good and correct Chris Bryant gospel. Uh, that's always fun. The last thing I want to leave you all with uh, before we head off here for today uh, is we, we keep getting more quotes from the players. I think Steven Souza was one of the latest to do this, uh, and Anthony Rizzo said something, but just about how good at this job David Ross is and how made for this job uh, that he is. I think Rizzo said something along the lines of, you know, David Ross expects perfection, and that's what we expect to give to him. That That is what we are working to give to him uh, as our manager. And I think Souza said something along the lines of Rossi was made for this job, right? And we've heard this from a lot of guys. Uh, So... I just, you know, want to point that out because we've yet to see David Ross manage an official Major League Baseball game. This is obviously his first year. There's going to be a lot of challenges given the way this season is laid out. Um, But from the players, uh, when talking about the way that he has managed things, the way that he has coached, the way that he has set up these workouts and and the expectations for the players and stuff like that, uh, again, I, I don't specifically expect them to say anything different, but they could say nothing at all. And across the board, especially from guys that weren't in the organization previously uh, or guys who People might have thought David Ross is too close to these guys. How could he possibly manage them? Right. The results so far seem very good. They they seem to be suggesting that David Ross is going to hold them extremely accountable to work very hard and to be the best version of this team that they possibly can, and that that is what the players want to deliver for him. Uh, So I just think it's always good to hear those things, uh, and that that relationship so far uh, between David Ross and his players is is a good one. He's commanding respect and he is receiving it uh, in that regard. So that I think is about what we have for you. Uh, Obviously, you know, we will be back. Like I said, uh, we will record on Thursday night, And we will have a preview, you know, to officially get things cooking uh, before the Cubs and Brewers take the field on Friday night. Obviously, any major news, I don't know what that would be at the moment, but we could jump on sooner if we have to. But as I said at the beginning, uh, if you miss that, we will be on two times a week once the season starts. Uh, And after every series, the next morning, you can expect us to recap that series or discuss the events that went on in that series and give a little bit of a look ahead to the series that is coming up that is the format that we use on this particular podcast it has worked nicely for years I think uh, and you know serves as a good way to kind of break up how we do the discussions but as always we thank you guys for joining us Uh, we thank you guys again uh, and I will say this again on Thursday uh, but we thank you guys for sticking with us you know through a, a very very long downtime without actual baseball, uh, literally any baseball to cover. Uh, you know, So it's been good to have these exhibition games, these scrimmages, these practices. Uh, and soon we'll have real baseball and we'll be sort of in a, in a very different way, but back to normal. So we thank you guys for sticking with us through that uh, and are, are happy to be kind of getting back to the normal schedule and talking about the Chicago Cubs playing baseball games. So, As always, we thank you guys for listening. We thank you guys for your support. And we end by saying, go Cubs.
1: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.